and welcome back to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. I am Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. Uh, excited to be back with you guys. It's Sunday night. Got a lot to discuss. Uh, the Washington football team held a rookie minicamp this weekend. I'm not going to overhype and tell you that this was the greatest thing ever and that we learned a ton, but it did happen. We did see football people doing some football things. And there's, of course, always things to talk about with this team. Uh, so I had my friend Nikki Javala from the Washington Post chat with me for a little bit. We got into um, broader questions about um, position groups we're most interested to see once everybody gets together. First impressions of Samus Reyes. Uh, some other um, just general thoughts on the team. And also, look, I, you know, Nikki's an interesting spot. She's on the first year on the beat in a year of COVID, and was it just sort of talked about impressions, her impressions sort of of covering this team while getting acclimated to the world, the, the weird world that we're all kind of been dealing with for the last year or so. So it was a really fun conversation. Um, we'll get to that in just a few minutes. And obviously the Washington Wizards have um, moved on to the play-in round. Officially, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that for just a second. We'll get more into the Wizards as the week goes on. Um, so all that and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or anywhere you do your podcasting. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standick and subscribe to The Athletic. If you are not yet an athletic subscriber, you can do so right now for a one for one dollar a month for, I, I want to say, six months. Uh, there is an offer if you go click on any of my articles. Uh, I wrote one over the weekend regarding um, day one of camp. You can go check that out. Uh, and also in there, talked about Charles Leno signing, talked about Bobby McCain and so forth. So you can check all that out um, on The Athletic. I also had a story up at the beginning of last week, what's, what NFL scouts had to say about Washington's draft class. You can check all that out. And of course, I'll have more coming out this week. I will, in fact, have an article out Monday morning um, I don't want to step on it right now, but I think some of you will find it interesting. It's sort of a broader organizational story. Um, so hopefully you guys will find that interesting. You can check that out on The Athletic. Um, so let's get into a couple things here. Oh, actually, before I forget anything else, I do want to say one thing about the podcast. It has been, I've had a lot of fun doing this. I hope that comes across in, in my conversations with, with, with my guests and, and, and just when I'm talking to, to everybody here, uh, this really is a, a fun a fun part for me to do. And the fact that you guys have responded in big ways has been huge. It's really picked up steam over the last, oh, I don't know, three months. We've obviously had, I think, some really good guests. Jay Gruden was obviously somebody of note. Uh, you know, lots of other people. Greg Cosell, we've had Antonio Gibson, Jason Lock and Ford just recently, Bruce Feldman, Grant Paulson. I'm gonna. I'm not intentionally forgetting anybody else. There's just a lot of people to mention and to thank, and I'm not gonna get to everybody. In any event, I'm mentioning all this because I just checked before I came on the podcast just to look at uh, some some numbers and some things like that. And what I saw was that we've hit 100,000 downloads since the start of this podcast. And this is a podcast that um, you know I'm doing on my own essentially. Um, in terms of promotion and editing and everything else, getting guests and all that stuff. And it's really just me pushing it out there and word of mouth from there. And the fact that we've gone from literally starting at, no at nothing to get to 100,000 downloads is a huge deal for me. Uh, and, and, and it means a lot. It's just the start. Everything is trending up in the right way. And I'm really excited where things are headed. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this and for being kind with your with your support, with your words. And all that. So I really do appreciate it. The, the people who've left reviews and ratings on iTunes as well. has been, All that's been a huge help. Greatly appreciated. So um, let me get to some things about rookie camp. L like I said, uh, they were out there for two days. I was out there on Saturday. And each practice or each session, I should say, was about an hour. There was only 16 players there. The 10 draft picks uh, along with... Jared Patterson, who is another person that's been on this podcast, as well as uh, five players from, or sorry, uh, yeah, f uh, f four or five players from the, that were on the practice squad a year ago. They had a quarterback come in, 
to uh, to step in when Steven Montez was was they recognized was unable was it was ineligible to be part of camp and well, 16 players obviously we know there's 11 players on each side of the field so it's not as if um they could run real practice when we have these when we've had these in the past you know it's not just the draft picks it's not just some of the players who were holdovers but you had tons of tryout players the five tryout players they were going to bring in their teams are limited to five because of covid uh situations and the the five were all essentially uh, sent home because one of the five tested positive for COVID. And so they decided just to move on from them. They ultimately, I said, did bring in a quarterback. So it's not like we got to see them do that much. What Ron Rivera said was most interesting for him was that he got to see these people in person and from an athletic trade perspective, get a sense of who they are um, as athletes how they move, how, what they look like in person compared to what he saw on tape. And it's literally that level of sort of building blocks. A lot of the drills that I saw were like, you know, tight end coach Pete Hainer working with Samus Reyes and John Bates in like just getting in and out of their stance, um, you know, get, getting ready to take on blockers, showing what's important, where, you know, if you're not, if you're not in a certain you know, if you're not balanced, how you know, a defender could come right up the middle on you and just push you back if you're not if you're not balanced and things like that. And that's all incremental stuff. It's important stuff. I kind of say it kind of reminds me of how it, like in the Karate Kid, you know, when Mr. Miyagi is showing Danielson how to do, you know, sand the floor, you know, wax on, wax off. And you're all kind of like, what's going on here? And then eventually it's all applies to the actual sport itself obviously this is you know all these all these drills are a little more d defined and, and to the point but my it is my what i'm saying is it's not like we saw them you know we we, we didn't see uh shaka tony going up against sam cosme in one-on-one -on -one, uh you know drills head to head it wasn't it wasn't that type of situation but that's okay we'll, we'll get more players out there in about 10 days or so when the first of three ota sessions is there the media is going to be available to go out there one day during each of the OTA sessions, and then all three days of the mini camp, which will be sort of mid June. So we'll have some time to get out there, but we didn't get there yet. Um, Nikki and I talked about uh, Samus Reyes, uh, you know, first chance to see him. So we'll get to that in a moment. Obviously, Jamin Davis was out there. You know, we did have a chance to speak with uh, all the all the um, players uh, in terms of the draft picks and Jared Patterson. Uh, Dax Milne didn't speak. It just timing was a, was a thing there. Um, and, you know, at least the players that I was in the resume rooms for, you know, I thought came across well, uh, you know, those aren't obviously necessarily the most important aspects in terms of whether they're going to win games, but, you know, you can get a sense for people. I, I will say sort of to an extreme example, remember seeing Josh Dotson the first couple of times and, and, and seeing him in a press situation and recognizing pretty quickly that he seemed to be either incredibly shy or had a different level of energy compared to some of other players. Um, and, and by that, I mean, it immediately sort of made me question sort of where he was at with his football journey. How much of this burned for him? And obviously, you know, it's gone where it's gone for him. And that's not to say that, uh, um, you know, I, I can read how everybody's going to be. But I'm just saying, I know I didn't get any red flags based on the conversations we've had. Obviously, we've talked to some of these guys, or pretty much all the players, um, when they were drafted, but this was a chance to see them on Zoom as well. So I thought that was a, um, you know, I thought that was uh, notable there. Um, since I was here last, I believe they signed uh, Bobby McCain, the safety, the former Miami Dolphin safety. Um, an interesting move there. Uh, Nikki and I talked about that as well and, and, and where he fits into the secondary. But, you know, look, they... What's interesting about this is, so between now, they signed two players last week, McCain and Leno. That secondary market is a thing. And Washington, I think, has really done a nice job orchestrating their offseason, right? You have real free agency, or let me rephrase that. You have the first part of free agency where the majority of, of, of moves happen. Um, they obviously made some significant ones. Uh, and then they also made some subtle ones as well. Then you, of course, have the draft. And now comes... Um, the next phase, and it goes to show, I think I may have talked about this on a previous podcast, but you don't have to automatically throw everything in, um, into the first part. If you're if you're patient, if you have a plan, 
you can get potentially help down the line. You can't predict. I mean, Bobby McCain and Charles Leno were only just released um, within the last, you know, post-draft, right? So it's not like you could predict that definitively. But the larger point would be these types of situations happen. And if things, if the breaks kind of go your way, then maybe the, the players who are released will um, be to your liking. And obviously in terms of the tackle, there obviously were a lot of tackles drafted um, pretty high this year. And in the case of McCain, he was let go by Miami because they drafted Javon Holland, who we've talked about on this podcast as a player that Washington was interested in. And they decided Miami decided they're going to let Holland take a shot and save some money towards the salary cap by moving on from McCain, who they had signed to a four-year deal in 2018. So uh, really interesting move there. You've got Bobby McCain, Jeremy Reeves, DeShazer Everett, Troy Apke, you know, is there. Uh, Derek Faultforce, the fifth-round pick, you know, feels like he's more of a special teamer than anything this time and maybe even more strong safety than free. But nonetheless, he could potentially be in the mix. And then obviously Landon Collins and Cam Curl as well. And how do you have, you know, how do you get – if, say, McCain is the starting safety and you have Landon Collins and you have Cam Curl, how do you get all those guys on the field while simultaneously putting all those cornerbacks out there? Jimmy Moreland is, is the nickelback. Uh, you, you, you just drafted Benjamin St. Just, or Ben St. Just, as I'll call him from now on, in the third round. Uh, you know, you right? Presumably these guys will be on the field along with Kendall Ford and William Jackson. So just like a lot of their positions, there's a lot of interesting depth. Again, we'll talk about more about that in the in in the episode here in a few minutes. Um, but uh, you know, a notable move there. Beyond that, I honestly don't know what else we'd be looking at here, except for defensive line is the one spot, right? The the Ryan Kerrigan spot that they did draft two defensive linemen in um, in in William Bradley King and Shaka Tony. But uh, and I also have James Smith Williams from a year ago, plus Casey Two Hills on the roster. But everything I just said, all those guys are unproven at, at a minimum. And Martin Mayhew did tell us when we spoke to him um, after day three. I asked him, "Now that you did draft these two players, is it conceivable you would add a veteran?" And I mentioned Ryan Kerrigan specifically. He bypassed the Kerrigan part, but did say he anticipated that they would sign a vet. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, it could, obviously, and it, you know there are still some players out on the street. Maybe we'll get into that more in, in an upcoming podcast if they haven't done anything. Um, so that would be the one piece. Beyond that, I mean, it feels like they're kind of settled at this point in terms of the main players. There's always possible uh, players on, on the edges that they could do something with, but that feels like where they're at. So um, it's really interesting. They've got a lot of depth. We'll talk about that here and again in a moment um, at a few different spots. But um, Bobby McCain, another interesting move. He's also, to note, was a team captain at, with Miami, which you know feels like a guy who's got position flexibility, a former corner who can play both safety spots, and a team captain. That's position flex and culture. That is a Ron Rivera special right there, if I've ever heard one. So I imagine he was excited for that aspect of it all. And, uh, you know, the Washington football team has, you know, I think by and large had a pretty solid offseason from a depth perspective, whether this takes them up another level, that's a big, that's a lot. To, that's the big question, and you know we still have plenty of time before we can really start making bold assessments there. If somebody wants to predict they're going to win 11, 12 games, like in a real you know, full-throated way and be a force, you know, Mazel Tov, good luck to that. I'm not there yet. I, I, I predicted a nine and eight record when we did the schedule podcast um, the other day, but you know that's just sort of predicting the record. I'm not ready to sit here and tell you definitively. Here we go. This team is back. Look at world, um, but I think it's, I think they've made good moves. Ron Rivera, I think, is is uh, and Ron Rivera, the coach, and the Ron Rivera, the GM, are on the same page, or not the GM, but Ron Rivera, the personnel head, are on the same page, and so all that is uh, looks to be in good shape for the Washington football team. All right, and before we get to Nikki, just one quick thing. So the Wizards um, today on Sunday clinched. We already knew they were in the playing tournament, but today they clinched. The eighth seed, which is wild that in a normal year, they would argue they would essentially be in the real playoffs having started where they did. But they, they rallied back today. I did not watch the game. I actually went out into the real world today, went to an Orioles game. They beat the Yankees at, at Camden Yards. It was my first time out and about as a fan um, in forever doing anything. And um, that was an interesting experience in, the, in and of itself. But um, 
and a positive experience, I would say. Uh, but regardless of that, the Wizards have gone on. They will play the Boston Celtics Tuesday night. And um, look, the Celtics, you know, no Jalen Brown. The Celtics are in a rough way. Bradley Beal did come back from injury. Uh, as I said, I didn't watch the game. But from what I gather, you know, looked to be still dealing with his uh, his issue, his leg his leg injury. And uh, But he gutted it out, was, was tough, as he often is and scored in the fourth quarter as the Wizards rallied from a double-digit deficit to come back and beat the Charlotte Hornets. I, I'm not going to go so far as I've heard other people say that say the teams at the top of the East are scared of the Wizards. Let, let's, not get over, let's not get overly crazy. But when you have Bradley Beal, let's just say he's healthy, and you have Russell Westbrook, the Wizards will arguably have two of the three, two of the three, two of the four best players in any series. The Nets is a little, you know, you could argue that they have two of the four best players in the in a net series, right? I mean, I don't know. Are they both are Beal and Westbrook better than Kyrie Irving? I don't know. Maybe not, but close. Either way, they, it's going to be a, they're going to be a, a tough out. They can score a lot of points. If 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 they get if they beat Boston and get the seventh seed, uh, the, the series at the Nets every game might be one forty to one thirty eight kind of thing. Because uh, I don't know if either team is going to stop the other one, and that will be all kinds of fun. So really interesting to see what happens here with the Wizards. Kudos to them, to Bradley Beal, to Russell Westbrook, Scott Brooks, Tommy Shepard, who I think really deserves some big kudos for everything that he has done. Um, uh, it, it, you know, so many of the moves he has made going back to last year have really paid off. You know, if you give him credit as the GM for the Russell Westbrook trade, uh, you know, some sort, some subtle moves like signing Raul or Howell Neto, um, you know, they added Ish Smith a year ago. Those two guys have helped solidify things off the bench. Robin Lopez has obviously been a pretty solid option for them throughout the year. The Daniel Gafford trade, without question, has been a big move for, for Washington, has given them, uh, you know, some real mobility and and, and uh, athleticism in the middle. Signing Alex Len during the season, as they did, has given them uh, some more help. They drafted Rui Hachimura, obviously, a year ago, and he... Um, has definitely shown signs this year. So kudos to Tommy Shepard for that. I don't. I I would be comfortable if they move forward with him, r- remain with him as the general manager, despite rumors of or interest of of, of others uh, possibly. The coaching situation is a little more complicated, but I'll just say, you've heard me talk about the Scott Brooks thing before. The fact though that he is a guy that knows Russell Westbrook, has worked with Russell Westbrook. They clearly seem to have a good a uh, good thing going there. And Westbrook's under contract for two more years. If you, you know, if you told me that the Wizards decide that when Scott Brooks' contract ends this year to bring him back to sort of match Westbrook's uh, contract with two more years, it, it wouldn't surprise me. And I could make the argument that that makes the most sense because Westbrook, it's not, I wouldn't say he's a volatile situation, but it's not like you can bring in another coach and that coach is going to say, well, here's what we're going to do, people of the Wizards, and Westbrook will definitively go for that. Westbrook is a unique individual in a lot of ways, and one of them is he does things the way he kind of does them, and you're better off leaning into that than not. Scott Brooks already does that, and therefore I think it makes a lot of sense to sort of um, kind of go in that direction. But we'll see how that goes. Ted Leonsis was asked about Scott Brooks's future the other day and basically just said kind of what I said to a degree that the playing tournament's coming up. We'll see what happens. All right, let's uh, bring in our guest, We'll, we'll talk more about the Washington football team, the uh, the rookie camp, Samus Reyes, some other randomness of fun conversation here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Uh, legit excited for my next guest uh, to get her away from raising two, two, two dogs that are now huge and covering the Washington football team for the Washington Post takes a lot, but she was willing to talk. Here she is. The great Nikki Jabala. Are, you've been in town for almost a year. Are people getting your last name right when you go on the radio and the TV? I, I like saying your last name, but I've 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 been I've said it for a while. So, like, do people know it at this point? Are we good? Yeah, surprisingly, people out here get it right. You know, even I was in Denver for what six years. Still, people didn't get it right. But I mean, I've always said if you get it close enough, I'll respond. So, yeah. Well, I mean, close enough. You're, you know, regardless, you'd like people to get right. I mean, look, I, I, I mean, mine is not as complicated as yours, but people like to throw the second N in there and all that stuff. So, you know, 
I get all that. Um, well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad people are giving you the proper respect on 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 your last name and all that. Uh, I'm glad you have the time to talk and uh, the 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 pups are hanging out um, off on the side. If they speak up, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hear what they have to say. I'm sure Lenny's going to come in here at some point and share his thoughts. Um, I don't think we have too many thoughts about rookie minicamp, which was the original reason I asked you to uh, come on. I'm like, okay, cool. We got rookie minicamp, something to see. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, as I sort of said in the intro to the show, like yeah, it wasn't much happening. So yeah. yeah. So we'll, 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 we'll touch on it briefly. We have other topics uh, for whatever reason you and I did not kibitz yesterday at practice. So I don't really know your thoughts on a few of these things. So uh, we'll, 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 we'll do all that. Are you, are you feeling comfortable? You, but you've not been on the podcast since, the week of the playoff game, you were the preview guest. It's been that long. Are you feeling confident about your ability to communicate over this medium? Um, no, but I think it's a go anyway. And it looks like I don't have a choice. So let's uh, do this. Well, uh, it's going to be great. Hope everybody keeps listening. <laughs> absolutely. Look, look, I mean, people look, I, I, I have set a certain level when it comes to the podcast guests and you meet it at this point. Thanks. I appreciate I'm just that. Kidding. Yeah, absolutely. I set the bar pretty low, but that's great. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's all it's all good. All right, let's get into this. So, um, as I said, the, the, the there wasn't a ton to get into with the rookie camp to the point. I don't know. Did we ask Ron Rivera one question yet on Saturday about rookie camp? I think it was all. I mean, at least maybe generally we did, but I think it was mostly like I don't think we said to him, "Hey, we saw so and so do this." It was mostly broad picture stuff like that right i don't think we did um, yeah we didn't see anybody do this this and this it was a lot of special teams work and like there were only what like 16 guys there um not even right 12 guys because the tryout the five well, tryout guys didn't show up so you had the extra quarter you had jordan the extra quarterback and, and you had the uh, the rick leonards of the world right. who were there also so oh you know, right, right so yeah, yeah like close to 16. Right. So it was a lot of individual work with that, with just them and their positional coach. There wasn't a whole lot of action. You did get to see these guys in their practice jersey, which you got to see their field. We got to watch a practice without wearing a mask, which I thought was the most amazing thing ever. To be honest, I did think that was like, I, I've had a very return to normalcy kind of weekend. Uh, I just came from an Orioles game. I actually ate inside at a restaurant yesterday and we didn't have to wear a mask. And it was a lot, there's a lot going on. I'm really, I'm going to have to process this all later. There was a lot happening. Uh, <laughs> all right. But so, so when I had my chance to ask R R Rivera a question yesterday, I just tried to lean into like the bigger picture stuff. And this time he uh, actually gave me an answer as opposed to what seems to normally happen. Um, I, I mean that, I mean that nicely. Uh, love, love you, Ron. That's a joke. All right. Anyway, so he loves he, you. So he I, I know it's fantastic. Um, so um, I asked him. Okay, he keeps every time they do anything. Hey, you guys are in Charles Leno. What's that mean? Uh, more competition. Okay, cool. You signed Bobby McCain. What's that mean? We have more depth. Great. How about this guy? Everything is competition and depth. So based on that, when we get all the players out there, I asked, <laughs> "What group are you most excited to see regarding this competition depth?" He actually said a couple, but he started with wide receiver getting into that they added some more help or more complimentary pieces to go with Terry McLaurin. They added more speed and they do have a ton of guys. Obviously Curtis Samuel is the big headliner, but they also draft the Omni Brown, sign Adam Humphreys, draft Dax Milne, and then everybody comes back from last year. Um, whether it's receiver or something else, what for you is the most interesting group to watch when we uh, when we get everybody back out there? Um, I, I have to say the secondary because I mean, it's the second year in a row that they've essentially overhauled that group. And maybe they didn't go into that, you know, with that intention. I think Ron Darby leaving kind of shook up their plan significantly, but I'm curious to see what happens at the safety position because they, they obviously had a number of injuries there, but I want to know how much different the back end of that defense looks because the defense is the leader of this team and probably will be for you know, a good while as they build up the offense. Um, and, and the defense was, was good last year, very good, but they also let up a number of, of big plays. And I, I'm curious to see how the back end comes together if they do play more man versus zone with some of the people they got in and, and kind of how they 
how they find some clarity in their safety group. You know, I, I, I know they kind of want to blur the lines there with positions, but you know, when you line up, who's going to be the center fielder back there? Um, Cause I'm pretty sure it's not going to be Troy Apke. Um, even though I'm sure Ron would say that he's going to compete like everybody else. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, who's, who's going to be their free safety. I would imagine at this point, it, it looks like Bobby McCain, um, but we'll see, you know, and how do they use those rookies? Are, are they going to be primarily special teamers or will we see them on the field? Will they be maybe, you know, kind of like the next Cam Curls, you know, the guys that most people don't know a ton about, but have a chance to have a real impact on defense. I mean, the position flexibility stuff, I remember like at some point when they talked about the offensive line, and I remember somebody telling me that like John Matsko likes having guys who can play multiple positions in case the worst case scenario happens and you have to put uh, your five best guys out there. But I'm always like, I get that. But at some point though, you have to play, you have to actually play with like guys who do the things that you want to do. It's not just the worst case scenario. What's the best case scenario? The, the one thing he said yesterday, I thought, I think he said this yesterday, that was interesting about McCain was that the idea of, since he's a safety with cornerback skills, he originally was a corner before Miami shifted him, that if a team, if the offense moves, has a player go in motion, and now instead of maybe under normal circumstances, you have to have three players or four players shift, now maybe you only have to have one guy shift. Um, and if with McCain out there, in theory, I mean, you'd, you'd have three guys who are cornerbacks by nature on the field at all times, assuming that Kendall Fuller and William Jackson are out there at a minimum. And then if you do have, Landon Collins and Cam Curl because you got to figure out how to get them on the field. Um, yeah, I mean it's kind of interesting in in that sense. I, I, I the, the position flexibility is interesting. The depth though is just to me just just crazy. I mean there's it's way more than normal that that, that this team has had. Normally a guy like a Jeremy Reese or Shays or Everett at some at one or two if not four positions that would be the battle. And here like those guys I'm not the, I'm not saying McCain is like some all world safety, but it does seem like you know, like similar with Charles Leno, like they're going to be the starter going into camp at a minimum. And it, it, it really is interesting how much depth th they actually have, especially not just even compared to last year, but just compared in, to in general. I think they discovered a lot of their depth last year. I mean, there's no way we would have known anything about Jeremy Reeves had they not dealt with all the injuries in the secondary. And now he's considered you know, we've seen a little bit of what he can do on the field and it wasn't terrible. So, you know, he, he could be a key piece of their depth, but you know, they, they, by circumstance, they had to learn a lot about their roster. I mean, they were down to, you know, they were scraping the barrel at the offensive line and, and in the secondary because of injuries. Um, so I think that's another benefit of going through what they did last season is, is kind of finding out what you really have and the guys that were returning. Um, so, yeah, I, I, the depth on the offensive line is interesting. I do think the position flex there, I mean, that's, you kind of always need the position flex on the offensive line because you have your five starters who are mainly keyed in on their one position, but all the reserves can play two spots. You got to have a swing tackle, a guard that can usually play um, both guard spots or guard and center. I mean, that's, that's kind of the norm. I think what's interesting to me is to see when we talk about flexibility on, in like the secondary, what Kendall Fuller is able to do back there. You're not going to find a ton of Kendall Fullers who can easily roam from, you know, the different positions. But, you know, if you have guys who all fully understand what every other role does back there, it can only make it easier. It can only make the communication more seamless, um, you know, to the, to the point where you, you maybe don't even have to really communicate vocally at all. You just all understand what you're doing back there. And I think that's, that's probably one goal of, of, you know, having the versatility among the players. And then also like guys like Jamin Davis, you keep them on the field. That's just, that's better. You guys, you, you have more guys who can play multiple downs. It makes the rotation much easier. Absolutely. The, the, the Kendall Fuller thing I think is interesting because we didn't talk about, uh, <laughs> I was about to call him Benjamin St. Juice and I scolded everybody on our text thread to stop calling him Benjamin because it makes me, every, every time somebody does that, it sounds like my mother is uh is talking um but uh but I, I like i you know obviously we'll see he's a rookie i don't know how quickly he gets on the field but if he's able to play outside i keep thinking would they move kendall fuller inside he was a slot in his first go round here his free safety ability and to be able to go down that route i think is super interesting but we'll have more time to to talk about that 
going forward. By the way, as I was sitting here and I was adjusting my collar, so I, I, I was saying I went to the Orioles game today. It was raining on, on the way out. And here's how little, here's how much it's going to take me to adjust to getting back to society. I don't know when the last time I was actually in the rain, right? Because like I was kind of indoors all day. I, I, I was getting wet. It wasn't raining that hard, but I was getting wet. I just realized this thing has a hood. Dude, you know you were allowed to go outside during the pandemic. <laughs> It was like raining. Like, I mean, I, I cut. Well, you, what the hell? You have like dogs to walk. Like, I don't have to do that. So, like, I just, you know, I went outside. But if it was raining, I would go outside later. You're like slowly reemerging from a year long. I'm like the, I'm like the cicadas. It hasn't been 17 years, but I'm just slowly, slowly getting out there, making all the noise. They're all over my yard. It's gotten to the point where Louie, the puppy, he likes to eat them. So that's pretty disgusting. Oh, no. So I find like cicada shells in my kitchen i'm like oh. it makes me want to vomit so, oh no that's yeah. that that that's that's a tough break for everybody yeah. involved over there uh, j- just to sort of stay on this for one second though so with regards to R- Rivera mentioned the receiver group like i am pretty interested in that one it might be my my number one choice in part because like okay you got mclaurin and you got curtis samuel that's your two receivers set but curtis samuel like most of he was mostly effective with carolina in the slot and i think one thing washington discovered they obviously knew him because they all had him before, but that they saw how the Panthers used him last year more in the slot. And I think that's what they want to do, except then they got, go ahead and sign Adam Humphreys. They also draft a slot receiver. And yet they have Cam Sims on the outside, who was pretty productive last year. They draft Yami Brown, who can kind of play all over the place. And then there's a bunch of other guys, Steven Sims, Kelvin Harmer, whatever. So right now, like the third receiver on a lot of teams, it would be sort of obvious the kind of the slot guy probably, right? Mm-hmm. Here, I, I don't even know who the third receiver would be. I think there's a lot of guys I would, uh, I think if you made me pick, maybe not week one, but over the course of the year, I think I'm going to go De'Ami Brown at this point. I, 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 Cam Sims' big issue, I think, is consistency. And I kind of actually think De'Ami Brown might be, that might be one of his better traits off the bat. We'll see. Um, I'm hesitant to ask if you agree with me on the De'Ami Brown thing, seeing as how you're a North Carolina person. So you know, a lot of bias, I'm sure, is going to go into this one. But well, 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 hopefully you can maintain objectivity here. Who would you say is like your third receiver, if not at the week one over the course of the season? Yeah, I would say going in, it's probably De'Ami Brown or Adam Humphreys, just being Adam Humphreys having the edge because of experience and knowing Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, I also think it's interesting that HUG is totally forgotten in that mix. Totally. But with, with reason, I mean, he was dealing with a number of injuries and really just didn't do much in his rookie season, but the second year is when receivers usually make that jump. You know, the, the first year for pass catchers in total t- tight ends and receivers, they usually seem to struggle just with the speed of the game and um, the responsibilities of the position. So, you know, maybe AGG really takes that jump in, in year two. And then they got a lot of tough decisions to make in that, in that room. Um, but as of now, yeah, I'm with you on, on, I'd say Adam Humphreys and De'Ami Brown are um, kind of fighting for that number three spot. The biggest thing, though, is, I mean, I, I hate to bring up the Broncos, but they're my primary reference. <laughs> but, like, they they had a solid receivers room on, on paper, too, with Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler and Cortland Sutton, even though he got hurt in the year. Like, that was a solid room, but it, it doesn't matter if you don't have a quarterback who can't get these guys the ball. So, um you know, a lot of it is on on Ryan Fitzpatrick and in turn Scott Turner to to make sure these guys are maximized. Really, I would like to at some point, like over the summer, like whenever there's downtime, like uh, do a show like if you were gonna like take your pie of like the roster, like what percent, like what size pie would be for each position? Because I feel like personally, like wide receiver is overvalued, overinflated in terms of the assets that teams put into it for kind of what you just said. If you don't have a quarterback or you don't have an offensive line, then what are you doing? I mean, obviously they have Ryan Fitzpatrick. It should be an upgrade. I'll get to him in a minute. But um, yeah, I mean. So one of the most exciting positions though, you know, because oh, they, the, they make the acrobatic catches, you know? So yeah, they're always going to be overvalued. Yeah. But, but I mean, I'm saying even by fans, like, yeah, you, you don't start offensive linemen in fantasy football. Right. right. So it's definitely, uh, definitely a thing. All right. Let's go to uh second question to to wrap up essentially the rookie camp the one player that was interesting to see was the, because we've nobody has ever seen him on a football field football field before more or less was samus reyes the tight end who they the former college basketball player 
from Chile who only started playing football 10 seconds ago. I'm really not even exaggerating by that. Um, <laughs> and so he was out of the field and that was like, oh, okay, so what's he look like? He, he looks very athletic. He looks big. Um, you know, you, you, you can see the, the physical and, and athletic interest. And you can, as Ron Fair basically said, you can see the wheels turning as he's trying to do most things, um, which is totally reasonable because he's been doing these things again for about about 10 seconds. Um, it's really going to be interesting to see, are we all the time that we're all spending on him, will this be ultimately a story about a guy who has a really interesting life journey who doesn't ever help the team or a guy who is one of these tight end projects that we see come along every, every so often from basketball that becomes interesting and a lot of teams had interest in, in, in him. So I don't, I, I'd be lying if I said, I could tell you where this is going, but it's definitely gonna be a storyline to watch. Did you have any takeaways based on watching him do basic drills and get yelled at by Pete Hainer? <laughs> Pete Hainer, he really should be mic'd up. Um, I think he's an athletic freak. Um, whether he's a tight end, I did not see that yet um but that's to be expected I mean he's incredibly raw you know his catches don't look natural his routes don't look natural nothing looks natural because he's never done this before um you know you said 10 seconds it really was I mean what 10 weeks at IMG he said um never played a snap of organized football um so it's it's gonna be yeah, it's going to be interesting. And to, to compare it to Logan Thomas, I feel like it's unfair because Logan Thomas was a fourth round pick as a quarterback, but the guy knows the game and he perhaps knows it better than most tight ends having played the quarterback position. Um, so it's, it's a little bit different. It's still a, a trying challenge, you know, just to make that transition, but you know, he hadn't played the game. He wasn't, you know, start from scratch, you know, let's make a football player. Ooh, ooh. This is, let's see if we can turn him into a football player. Um, Do you think he's so, been hit yet? When? That's something, I don't know, like at IMG, are they giving him up? Okay, here's the deal. We're going to have you go over the middle and then some safety is going to come and plow into you. Do we, like, has that happened? I assume no, right? Unless they were playing full on games down there in Florida, I, I don't think so. Right. I mean, that's they're only in shells here. So, right. That's what's so fascinating, like about this. Like, if it was the other way, hypothetically converting from football to basketball, you could go play pickup with anybody. And I get, you know, it wouldn't be necessarily the same as playing with NBA players, but you could simulate that close enough. Uh, You can't simulate getting hit. And that ultimately seems like the biggest, and not just getting hit like the safety, but you have to block Chase Young. (laughs) Like, from from everything I know, it sounds like they signed him based on. The pro day he did at, what was it? Was it Florida. Ohio State? Florida. Florida. Yeah. yeah. And you're running routes against air. And what they saw of him in rookie minicamp, you're just running routes against air. So he's a complete unknown to the coaches, to himself, to everybody else, you know? So, but he, you know, he's putting in the work. We'll yeah. See. No, it's, it's it. going it's to be interesting. And like the position other than Logan Thomas and, um, John Bates, right? Yeah, John uh, Bates. Or, his, yeah. His, his name is generic enough. I couldn't think of it. Uh, <laughs> um, like, uh, we'll see. I mean, R- Rivera mentioned to Mark Hemingway, who would be the other guy that I would sort of throw into the to that mix. And uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, do you? You know, it, it would be sort of. I wouldn't say odd, but to have two rookies at any position, when you only have three guys, to have two rookies in general might be tough. To have two rookies when one guy has never played might be a lot to ask. So. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but that was probably the one most interesting thing other than to see Jared Patterson out there and just to see, he obviously was incredibly productive in college, but super, super small. Do you think, I was thinking about this since how you've been, uh, you know, you, you Lewis says, hello. Uh, let's go to question number three, which is <laughs> a question in of itself. We are what, 10 days or so away from uh, OTAs and we'll see who shows up, but at some point, everybody's going to show up and there, we already know more or less what the, the team is at this point. I mean, they've added Charles Leno and, and Bobby McCain. I don't know how many other significant names they'll add at this point, but anything's possible. What's your biggest question though, at this point with regards to them, it could be as big as, 
well, I don't know if they're actually any good, or it could be something as small as, uh, hey, are they going to bring in a second long snapper to compete with Cameron Cheeseman? Like, I, whatever the, whatever the, whatever the thing is, like, what's your biggest question for you at this point with where they're at? What does their offense look like after all these changes? Um, new quarterback, brand new receiving room, almost new tight ends room behind Logan Thomas. Um, new pieces on the offensive line. What what does this look like with all these guys? Um, and and how much can they do? Because um, I, I think until the, the offense gets up to speed, they're going to always be over-reliant on the defense. And at some point, you're going to wear the defense out. Um, sorry, my dogs are very vocal. Um Boy, they really took the invitation to talk to, to Hart. I gotta remember that next time. The neighbors are walking their dog, so they see them out the window. I might have to close the blinds. All right, I think we're in the clear. Um, but that is my biggest question: is what the heck does this offense look like with all the new pieces? And I don't know that we'll get that in OTAs or training camp or preseason. I don't know that we'll get that until you know maybe even after the bye. Um, of what this team can really do offensively. Um, I was going to save this for later, but we can sort of ask it now because you talked about the offense, which it's not solely relying on the quarterback, but obviously that's interesting. And, you know, with regards to the schedule, I mean, what's everybody say? Oh, my Lord, look at the quarterbacks they have to face. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, and so on. And we talk about that like that's going to be tough. At the same time, this team won seven games last year with, Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith, clearly not 100% right at quarterback. So it does, it's almost like, does the, somebody asked me this on Twitter and I apologize, I don't remember who, but does the Ryan Fitzpatrick edition almost, maybe not offset, but is that a bigger deal than the fact that the, the you're stepping up against a bunch of better quarterbacks? Like, what's the, like, what's the breakdown of that? I, I don't necessarily know, but it is, to me, like, I think the question is sort of the Ryan Fitzpatrick of it all. Yes, we know he's, interesting and fun and fits magic and he's been exciting but you know he's never been in a playoff game which is to say he's never been in a position to have to be on a team more or less to get down there he did one one year when go 10 and 6 as a starter but by and large he's not been that guy and he's you're asking a lot he has obviously shown incredible flashes and it's been interesting but over time who knows there's a reason to some degree why teams don't give him that shot they did um and it is a big unknown, yet at the same time, he's clearly, I would think, better than what they had last year, and they still won seven games last year. So, like, to me, that's sort of my biggest question is to what degree does he actually take them to another step? And maybe it's real because, again, they won a lot of games last year with not much a quarterback. And then you, and then you have to – then it makes you question the backup quarterbacks because we saw a little bit of them, Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen. Um, but those positions are more important than ever on a team like this because – if something does happen to Ryan Fitzpatrick, you're on to the next one, um, which, you know, they found that out last year. So how far can those guys take this group? Um, it, to me, it always starts with the quarterback position. They have a great defense. Their defense keeps them in a lot of games, can sometimes win some games, but you're not going to go very far if you don't have an offense. You know, I'm just thinking about this. You you were with Denver, and yes, you were there for a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, but it wasn't like Peyton Manning, like in all caps. It was like a muted Peyton Manning. And then you get the Drew Locke era, and now you come here. When's the last time you covered an actual quarterback? Because now I'm thinking maybe you're the problem, although realistically, when's the last time I did? Kirk Cousins, I guess. So I guess I can't really completely blame you, but uh, I'd like to a little bit, I guess. I mean, it's a very real possibility that I am the problem. Um now that I may tell Dan Snyder or Brian yeah. Rivera and see what well, they can do about that. Although that said, Pete, you know, a declining Peyton Manning is still better than 80% of the league. Maybe not in the throws he makes, but he can mask a lot of the deficiencies like up front. Their their line that year they won the Super Bowl, they had not played a snap together before week one. Um, so he was able to cover up a lot of that. And that defense was like historically great. The, the, the um, answer, your answer should have been, Hey, uh, guess what? I covered a team that won a Super Bowl. Maybe you don't think Ron Rivera would like that. That would like that in, information. Yeah. Get out of here. Ron knows uh, a lot about that team in the Super Bowl. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. Wow. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it all went downhill from there. So, yeah. All right, we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna steer away from the football team for a second. Uh, we're gonna go full Barbara Walters here and, and get to know you better. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you have roughly forty four thousand Twitter followers, which is a legitimate number. Why? Why what? What's wrong with all you people? Why do you all follow me? That's weird. I'm not that interesting. Um. If you guys haven't figured this out, Nikki and I battle for the most self-deprecating person on the Beat Award, but it's, it's, a, it's a constant race. All right. Um, that said, not everybody follows you. There are people still out there who have yet to figure out that they should. So based on that, who is a person that you wish follow you on Twitter that does not? I don't know. I don't. Well, I, I mean, my play answer is Rihanna. My 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 actual answer is Scott Van Pelt. And then from there, people have given all kinds of various answers depending on their hopes and dreams and, and whatnot. You must have somebody that you think that could be really interesting that you wish, or maybe it's somebody in the industry that you think, boy, if this person I, follows I me. I am somebody I wish would get on Twitter, but I don't care if he follows me or not. Who's um, that? Peyton Manning. He, he would be great on Twitter if he actually like did it himself instead of like hiring somebody. Wow. Um, I mean, Eli, Eli's on Twitter. I think it's only time for Peyton to join it. He'd be hysterical, but you know. All right. So Peyton, so the answer is Peyton Manning needs to get on Twitter and follow you before he does anything else. Got it. No, the first part, but okay. Yeah. Close enough then. All, all time, your all time favorite athlete. My all-time favorite athlete. Um, Allen Iverson. Wow. Not the answer I was expecting from the North Carolina Yankee person, but tremendous answer for a podcast that occasionally dives into Georgetown. So go ahead. I have two. Allen Iverson and Mariana Rivera. Uh, okay. Well, good. I have an edit button, so we'll get rid of the second one. No, look, I, I mean, I get the Rivera one. Iverson, why why, uh, why Iverson? They, uh, I, I, mean, I mean, I get why, but I mean. So my, my brother played basketball coming up. So basketball is always a sport in my family. He played college ball, and he was a point guard. Um, nowhere, obviously, nowhere near that level. I mean, he played at Brown. Um, but I grew up appreciating what Allen Iverson could do. I mean, he's just the stuff, he his ball handling skills are just crazy. Um, and I I I liked what he was as a player and what he represented in that he wasn't willing to change who he was. Um, you know, from the way he dressed to the way he did his hair, like he was unapologetically himself, and I appreciated that about him. Absolutely. Um as you said that, I'm like, yes, this is now I now I understand the connection. I, I like it. All right. Um, all right, this one, you're gonna have to think for a second. Based on a hobby or a habit, what's a hall of fame that you qualify to enter? Um, mine was uh I go to 7-Eleven often enough that I could uh, go into the 7-Eleven Hall of Fame. Other people have, you know, an actual hobby of some sort. Anything that comes to mind for you? Starbucks. Oh my God! Could you could you could you explain your order? Would you would you mind sharing that with the audience? Um, every morning it's a venti blonde roast with, depending on how I'm feeling, at least four shots of espresso in it. <laughs> um, lately, it's been closer to six. Um, not healthy. Don't recommend it, but I love it, and I'm not going to stop doing it. Um, so I've. I mean, I'm willing to drink other coffees. I'm not that much of a snob, except Dunkin' Donuts. I can't drink that stuff. Um, but I'm partial to Starbucks. And I may or may not um, base my living arrangements on its proximity to a Starbucks, which in most cities is not difficult. But when you're in the burbs like me, um, it does become more of a challenge. Um, nonetheless, Starbucks is an important part of my life that I'm not willing to give up. I love it. Fantastic. I'm in the Hall of Fame. I don't, I, know if loyal. The, I don't know if this is a 30 for 30, but I, it would be fun to see a day like, you know, follow you over the course of a day, like start off pre-coffee, 
See, uh, she just going. She, she's holding up the coffee now. See, this is what I don't understand. What time of the day did you get that? Um, eight a.m. It's it's almost twelve hours later, and you're still drinking the same coffee. Yep. Okay. But th- th- this, this is why my my hours are slightly off these days. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> I have a little trouble sleeping, but it's okay. It's totally worth it. It's good for you. I'm it's almost coffee I'm su- is good for you. I'm surprised you're able to sit down this long just to have a conversation that you're just not bouncing off the walls with all that. But honestly, if I go, if I have anything less than a venti cup with like three shots, I can't make it. It's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> but whatever, it's healthy. <laughs> hey, whatever, whatever, whatever works for you. Oh my god. Okay. Um, all right, we'll, we'll switch back to the football team uh, for the moment. Uh, I don't know if this is a good question. It's something I thought about it and I had a moment and we'll see if it's a moment of brilliance or a moment of, are you stupid? All right, here we go. Better chance to start this year. And I essentially mean week one, I don't, or I don't mean because of injury, but more or less week one, okay? Taylor Heineke, Cornelius Lucas, or Matt Ioannidis? Now, on the one hand, Matt Ioannidis is clearly the best player. He led the team in sacks in 2019. But there's four guys we've all talked about 100 times that are playing ahead of him. I don't know where any of them are going. Wait, so what are the parameters most likely to start but not because of injury? Correct. Like best chance to start but not because of straight injury. Like there's something like could happen. Like In other words, could Taylor Heineke actually come in and maybe it doesn't have to be week one to film, but come in and actually show enough that he becomes the latest guy to surpass him. Or could it be Lucas or Matt Ioannidis because he's good? What would he got? D, none of the above. Because it's it's about more than the player. Okay, so Taylor Heineke, he's behind a guy that's making $10 million a year and he's not. Um, Ioannidis... He's not, you're not going to bench John Allen or Deron Payne given their salaries or their general ability. And who is the other Cornelius Lucas? Um, I, I guess he would probably have the best chance, but I don't see him beating out Charles Leno for that job. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't like the cop out, but the reality is if you reversed it and made me answer the question, which of course you can't because it's my podcast, I don't really know what I would say. I just thought it was like, like because my Ioannidis is clearly a really good player, but that is just sort of like. So I guess the reason I sort of thought this was when Ron Rivera said the question about which position groups he's most interested in. One of the ones he mentioned was the defensive line. Now part of that may just be, hey, what, how has Chase Young improved? How has Montez Sweat improved? But I four first round picks on the defensive line. He already knows they're good. It's not one of the most intriguing groups. I feel well, like so that led me to the other thing is which I is like a, how much they've come along. You got four first round picks. You already know what they are. I, I I know, but I mean it's to to the degree that you're gonna can improve, right? Chase Young might let's just say Chase Young is as good as he was a year ago. That's mm-hmm. good, but it doesn't take him to another of another another level he's expected to get to eventually. So, but like I said, the other part was Matt Ioannidis. I thought I was like, well, this guy was legitimately good enough to start but i don't know how he's doing it so that's why i thought it was an interesting question um that so that's i think might have more of an impact now in, you know since they don't have kerrigan there i mean kerrigan they actually played a number of snaps with five on the line so they, technically he could start see? with deron Payne and john allen so they, all right. See, I you you found that you found a, an appropriate loophole. Look at that. I like. I like. I, 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 like I like that. All right. Let, let's talk about the schedule for a quick second. Uh, the Washington football team has one. Um, I was going to ask you when we go to Denver, is it more likely that you would take me to your favorite restaurant or pretend you just don't even know me when fans swarm you upon your triumphant return? But I think we probably probably know the answer to that. So, what which road st- which road stop road road stop? I don't know which 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 spot on the road is most interesting to you, both either because of the actual game or because there's a you know spa treatment waiting for you. Um, I'm not a spa kind of gal. I like um, I like to go where I can get a s- sports car on the cheap 
Um, so Ooh, Dallas is usually the go-to for that. They always have Mustangs that you can rent. Um, outside of Denver, and I like Denver because my family is there and I'm very excited to see them. Um, Vegas, I want to see the new stadium. I'm not a big Vegas person. I don't. Have you been? I when have. You... Um, believe it or not, I used to. <laughs> um, my first job out of college at Sports Illustrated, I was the MMA producer for SI.com. So oh, that's amazing. Um, who, what was the what was, who was the big who was the big MMA person at the time? Um, do not remember. I just let my writer Josh Gross handle all of that, and he was amazing. Um, but I did go out to Vegas because they were filming The Ultimate Fighter, so I got to go out there and meet Dana White, and that was something. Um, so that was my first trip to Vegas at the MGM. That was pretty sweet. Um, a lot of great restaurants. Yeah. Very excited about that. But I really, I honestly, because I'm a nerd, I really just want to see the new stadium. It looks amazing. So there, there's, I, I always tell people, I mean, it's been established that I'm, I've been to Vegas once or a hundred times. That's not an exaggerated number. And uh, the, the, I always tell people, don't think of it like you have to go and gamble and you'll be, you know, you can, Vegas can literally be whatever you want it to be. It has all the options. And in your case, nerd out over the football stadium, guess what? Now there's that option. I, I did think, I, I think I have this right, right. They're playing Seattle on a Monday and then they fly out to Vegas the following week. Do I have that right? Double checking, uno momento. Because Rivera said when when he was we we didn't ask about the schedule until I think correct. Uh, our, our our friend Chris Russell asked him the last question on Saturday, and, and Rivera the one thing he pointed out was he he you know more or less said yeah it's fine whatever but like he didn't love that that they're playing on a Monday and then have to fly. At West, and we talked the other day here on here when we talked about the schedules about trap games. I think I mentioned that somewhat. Um, also, because Vegas is kind of a trap city by by nature. Um, so yeah, so there. So that was uh, that 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 was interesting. But yeah, Vegas as a city is without question the highlight for me. Cannot wait um, for all kinds of reasons. But in terms of the game itself, uh, the fact that Rivera pointed that out, um, you know, I, I thought was notable. If that's the worst thing about their schedule then my gosh, they're doing pretty good. The worst thing about their schedule for them is the five divisional games at the end. That's brutal. Well, you made this point to me the other day, so I'll let you say it again, but why specifically do you think it's brutal? Because that's when you're, that's when you feel the worst, you got the most injuries and that's when the games count the most. Um, so that's going to be tough. I mean, you base it's Dallas, Philly, Dallas, Philly, New York, and you ended on the road in New York. That's going to be not fun. Um, but the rest of the the rest of the schedule isn't too bad. I honestly look at the first half where, and I know you talked about this earlier, where you know you got Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and who? I guess the question is, will Aaron Rodgers will right. they face him in Week Seven or Week Eight? Bam on that. I can't, I don't know if you've been officially asked this by uh, uh, other podcasts or radios or one of your dogs. Would you, if you were Washington, if Green Bay came and said, hey, Aaron Rodgers is on the block, we'll consider all offers. Uh, NFC is not ideal, but we'll consider all offers. Do you actually go in to, you know, if we're talking two first, some comp- two first, two seconds, maybe one of the defensive linemen, not Chase Young. Do you actually make that move? I don't think you have a chance of making the move if you don't include Chase Young. Um, how old is he? Thirty-six. Oh, Rogers. I think I want to say thirty-seven, but something like that. Yeah, I, I'll look. I, I said yes. I I, I, I think, think you have to kick the tires on it. Uh, yeah, I said yes. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a line if I would cross the line with um, Chase Young or not. But Aaron Rodgers puts you in the Super Bowl conversation, which to the point we had before, as interesting as everything else on this team could be. It's just hard to go there right now with Fitzpatrick, even if he's better than what you have. You have Aaron Rodgers. And like, I wasn't that excited about Deshaun Watson in the sense that, yes, he's younger, but one, he hasn't won huge. I mean, he's won modestly, but not a ton. I'm talking, of course, pre legal issues, but also for Washington, they would have had to give up picks this year and they still had a lot of holes. Well, now they've covered up all of those holes. If you trade picks going forward, 
you still would be able to have dealt with most of these holes. And yes, draft picks you don't are, are, are important, but all the time, right? I mean, third through seventh round picks are real people too. And it's not like it's not like the NBA where you're trading four first round picks and now you have nothing because there is no other part of the draft, more or less, right? So I would I would do it to a point, but I think that point would be pretty far down the line for me. Yes. I agree. I agree. Uh, all right. Um, we're getting to the end here. You're, you're doing great. Uh, I, okay. Um, I was going to ask you if you'd be willing to give up your Washington Post gig to be DJ at Washington's practices. I think the answer is yes, but I'm not sure. Um, I was going to ask you about your favorite Saturday Night Live. Oh, I mean, it, 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 I don't, you, I love my job. I don't want to give it up, but I am willing to take on extra responsibility and be a DJ on the side. Uh, okay. Well, I, look, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos is not doing much these days. We can ask that question, but instead of that, I'm going to ask you this. You've now been here for almost a year. Um, I'm not just saying this because you're here. You're doing a great job covering this team. It is ridiculously weird, not just for all of us because of the COVID, but you haven't been, you know, for you, you just got here. You haven't been around more or less any of these people. As far as I know, you've not been inside the locker room. As far as I know, you haven't talked to these people face to face, but it's also on top of a new market. You're having to meet new people, all this stuff. And everybody does things different. The fan base does, the local media does, the team does all that stuff. What's the most interesting or curious thing that you have found in the however, whatever it's been nine, 10, 11 months, that you've found covering this team, whether it's about the team itself, the local media, the fan base, whatever it is, what's the most interesting thing for you so far uh, uh, that now you've been here almost a year? That's a tough one. I don't know that I have one, to be honest. Um, to be honest, there are a lot of similarities between here and Denver. I thought they would be completely different, but there are a lot of similarities. And, and maybe that's the case across the league, just in how, you know, a number of teams are run. Obviously they have their differences in some areas. Um, I don't know. And it's honestly hard to say because of COVID, because I've never met most of these people in person still, you know, like when, I mean, I'll probably never forget this, but I, Last year, we st still traveled to road games and we happened to stay at the same hotel as the team in, in Pittsburgh. And I saw Ron, he's wearing a mask. I'm wearing a mask in the lobby. And I waved, not putting two and two together that he does not know what I look like really if I'm not on Zoom or not wearing a mask. So he gives me this like double take and is like, who the hell is that? And then just walks <laughs> on. I was like, oh my God it's like what week 11 and the coach still doesn't know what I look like, but he knows who I am obviously, but it was just one of those very surreal reminders that, you know, I haven't met these people face to face. That said, it's, it's been a challenge covering a new team, but I've, and I don't mean this to be cheesy or cliche. I really have enjoyed it. Like I really like this media market. Um, I like how loyal the fans are. Um, my dad is actually, I guess he's kind of turned into a Fairweather fan. I hate to out him like that, but he has. But he was like a diehard Hogs fan back in the day. He used to, we lived in North Carolina and he would travel to, to DC and back in the day just to catch a game at RFK and wear the pig nose and everything. So you're both your parents are from here, right? Yeah, they met here. Um, my mom's from France. My dad grew up in the Bronx and their families moved here. They met in high school. So yeah, DC goes way back for our family. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, I, I you know, it is a huge pain in the butt having to uh, deal with you on the beat. Uh, and I mean that from perspective of having to keep up and all that, but like, I really don't know what I would do if I had to walk into a new beat at least it's the same sport. So a lot of the things are transferable with people sort of yes. contacts and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of like, I mean, of course, like we're all dealing, like, I've never talked to Chase Young in person. Right. I mean, we're all kind of dealing with something, but yeah, across the board, it's really wild. And obviously we're all dealing with a lot. So hopefully, hopefully you get that chance to meet people in person. Cause it means we're all meeting people yeah. in person again. So fingers crossed on that. Yeah. The biggest, the hardest thing for me is, you know, moving to a new city, you know, when you move to a new city for a new job, which I've done a few times now, 
you know, the relationships kind of develop organically. You meet people in the newsroom, you meet your coworkers, you know, you develop friends through friends, that sort of thing, right? Like, I still feel like I don't know anybody out here just because, you know, the newsroom's been closed. There's been limited, you know, in-person interactions just through work. And um, it's kind of been hard to sort of establish a new life here. But I, I feel like, you know, like you said, things are starting to open up and all it get it'll get better. And to be honest, I've had it easier than anybody. So it's been an interesting time for everybody, that's for sure. But it's nice to see it opening up again. Absolutely. All right. You're off the hot seat. I hope you, uh, I hope you uh, had a good enough time that you're willing to come back some other time with or without the dogs. With the dogs wrestling in the background, I'm sure you got all the sound effects on my apologies. Well, I had the visual of them wrestling while you were talking. That was, that was an added bonus for me that the listeners aren't going to get. What happens behind me during every run of their oppressor. It's great. (laughs) I've told I, I okay whatever I, I, I'm gonna stop talking inside baseball stuff. All right, uh, go follow Nikki Jabala on Twitter at n i c k i j h a b v a l a. Did you read that off the screen or did uh, you? Know that? You, you it doesn't even have your last name on the screen. Um, wow. Go read her in the Washington Post, and uh, you know as I always say, if you're gonna follow somebody on Twitter, be nice. Thank you. All right, a lot going on in this episode. Many thanks to Nikki Javala for her time. Thanks to everybody for checking out the podcast. Uh, More to come this week regarding the football team, probably some Wizards as well since the playing game is here one way or or the other. What happens beyond that, we will see. Uh, But excited to talk to everybody some more. Um, Appreciate everybody uh, indulging the, the... the, 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 the pets, I'll, I'll button that up a bit going forward here. Okay. But, uh, you know, uh, pets are, everybody loves their pets. And when you're home all the time, uh, as we've all been, but I, I certainly have been, you know, it becomes even more so. So, uh, you know, I, I indulge mine as well as others with theirs. But we'll button that up a bit uh, going forward. Um, all right. That's it for now here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. Again, make sure to check out um, my work on The Athletic, which you can subscribe for a dollar a month right now if you go click on one of my articles and of course you can make sure to subscribe to the standard room only podcast on itunes or spotify anywhere else you do your podcasting that's it for now here on the standard room only podcast until next time see you